Welcome to Floor Fight, the Post Rider serialized podcast in which each season we assemble a politics bracket and pit our contestants against each other to crown the ultimate winner. I'm your host and your announcer, Mike Levito. Thanks, Mike. I am your other host and your floor manager, Lars Emerson. Welcome to the podcast and to the final floor fight we have before us. We have just two entries remaining after our last round. Welcome to the championship. Of course, both of these entries are losing presidential candidates, and that's because the premise of our first season is to put all these losing candidates together to answer this one question. Who was the greatest president we never had? Reminder for our listeners how this works, and really just how far we've come. We started with the 56 runners-up in the competitive United States presidential races, plus 16 of the top third and fourth place finishers, eight of whom won their playing games to make it into the top brackets round one. We went through 64 candidates in the first round, 32 of whom survived to face off in the second round. 16 of them advanced into the third, eight in the fourth, and four in the fifth, and now we are down to just two. All candidates have been seeded based on their percentage of the popular vote. We have one number two seed and one number 12 seed remaining. Which one of them will be dubbed the greatest president we never had? For those who are wondering if, as we say every time, Mike and I can truly not agree on which of these two candidates should be the greatest president we never had, we will flip a coin. But I think it's very safe to say that both of these people would have been great presidents. And how, we haven't done it yet, like how, how climactic would it be if it came down to a coin flip in this championship? It'd be pretty incredible. <laughs> Just the suspense. Think yeah. about it. We'd, we, our listeners would be on the edges of their seats. I'll have to um, add a coin flip sound effect. Right, yeah. <laughs> That sounds like a lot of work. Let's not do it. <laughs> well, thank you, Lars, for that final review of the rules. And thank you, listener. Yes, you, the listener, who can follow along with our live updating bracket on our website. Just go to thepostradio.com slash floorfight to see the seeds, victors, and how far we've come from those lowly play-in rounds. Trace our bracket to see where everything started relitigate it it's it's like your own like little 270 to win except without all of those features it is so yeah let's just take a look at, at who, our, who our two finalists are now let's just get into it talk about what unites them what divides them and how they stack up against each other all right these are two names we've talked about so much but we'll start with the first our high seed number two seed hillary rodham clinton who lost the 2016 presidential election to donald trump Hillary's story in this bracket has been, uh, it started out easy and it became increasingly difficult, much like (laughs) her political ascendancy. That's actually probably not true. I feel like it started out difficult, remained difficult for her. But she defeated Robert M. La Follette. That was an easy win for her in round one. She defeated Walter Mondale. That was an easy win for her in round two. In round three, she defeated Alden B. Parker, another easy win. Then she went up against George H.W. Bush in round four. We had a good debate there, but we decided Bush had too many problems and Clinton offered a better vision and her presidency would have meant something. And then we had probably our longest debate ever, I think, was Mm -hmm. in round five when she was up against Al Gore in our final four contestants. 
I mean, that was a that was a good debate, Mike. We talked about them for like half an hour. We we sure did. It, it was a lot lot to hash out, but we ultimately came on the side of Hillary Clinton. We felt she had her her presidency. It was more positive and like issues oriented, and we felt stronger about her as like a charismatic leader. Which is, is kind of funny. But, you know, Al Gore, we felt very strongly that the 2000 election was, like, a very important election. And, and we definitely thought he deserved to win it. But if we're going on the person, the individual, we felt we missed out more in not having a Clinton presidency. We certainly did. Facing off against Hillary Clinton in the championship round is Henry Clay, the 1832 version. This is his second bid for the presidency, this time against Andrew Jackson and just Andrew Jackson, not pesky William H. Crawford and John Quincy Adams this time. So he is a 12 seed, actually, but he didn't have quite, as I would say, like a difficult a time getting up here than some of the others did. So he started off against Charles Evans Hughes, then made his way against John C. Vermont, who was the first ever Republican nominee. Again, I don't think there was too much debate between either of those. William James Bryan in 1908, maybe a little bit more. You know, they're both very similar, both uh, perpetual presidential losers. And then uh, in his electable eight matchup against Gerald Ford, that was, I think, went on a little bit longer than we were expecting. But he eventually pulled through to face John Quincy Adams in the Federal Four, which he ended up winning. Compared to the Clinton versus Gore debate, this was actually not very close at all. Yes. Clay was kind of the driving force, and Quincy Adams was this ineffective president behind this sort of same idea. So we felt that Clay Mm -hmm. deserved to advance. Yes, we did. So there you have it. Hillary Clinton versus Henry Clay in the final battle for the championship to be the greatest president we never had. I almost feel like it's more interesting to start with the cons for each of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we yeah, sure, why not? Mix it up a little. Right. So we unpacked last episode the the cons for Clinton is that she would have been an unpopular president, that she mm. probably would have hit this brick wall within Congress that, you know, maybe Paul Ryan, maybe Kevin McCarthy would have dominated. I, I think we have generally agreed she probably gets a 50-50 Senate and therefore control there, at least for her first two years in office, which is, as Joe Biden can attest, that does not necessarily make things much easier. But, you know, she, she does not have certainly a majority to get very much done, other than perhaps some nominations. The other cons to her is you have to think about if she has this this Congress who's blocking her, is she able to get any COVID legislation or response through in 2020? Does that cost her an election in 2020? What version of the Republican Party would she be going up against? Compared to Clay, you know, we, we, we gave Clinton the edge because we thought her vision for the country and what she meant to people was, was bolder than Al Gore's. But can we really say that her vision was bolder than Henry Clay's, who, who had this, you know, almost founding fatherish like vision for what the country could be? I, I think that is the beginnings of the case against Clinton. Yeah, I would definitely agree, right? She is working off, I feel like, a lot of other people's scripts in a way, in the sense that she's running as like a third Obama term and as just maybe just kind of like shoring up some of the more like socially progressive agenda items and then zigging a little bit with the TPP, although we, we kind of talked about that last episode, how we think she might have handled that ultimately. But yeah, she would just face a lot, lot, lot of resistance. You know, ideally she is able to confirm some Supreme Court justices, but she's probably facing, best case scenario, basically, she has a very, very slim Democratic majority. Yeah. And slim as in like 52 to 50 
seat majority. And there's obviously, I, I, it's, I think anybody who is president during the coronavirus pandemic is going to lose re-election, to be quite honest with you, unless they somehow develop a force field that keeps the virus from getting in the country. Or the opposition is a little more, you know, uh, working in the best interests of the country, like many yeah. other well, democracies' oppositions. Yeah, I, I think it would require, I think, a fundamental transformation of American political behavior for yes. that to happen. So that's the con with Clinton. Do we want to dive right into our cons for Clay? <laughs> we can build them back up? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. We'll give him the bad news first, right. and then we'll give him the good news. Cons for Clay, I think, obviously, a slave owner, again, was kind of interested, was amenable, I would say, to gradually phasing out slavery. However, there's no guarantee that would happen. Obviously, the slave power would have been more influential within Congress, and that would probably affect a lot of his decision-making especially considering where his support was coming from. And then also a bit of a nationalist, bit of a hawk. Again, he did oppose the Mexican-American War. He did oppose the Indian Removal Act. Once you get in office and you have sort of like a broadly pro-expansionist policy, it's kind of hard to do that without causing more wars and without negatively impacting, to put a very euphemistic spin on it, the lives of Native Americans. Yes, that is definitely true. I, I think a big problem with Clay comparing him to Clinton here is, you know, Clinton actually did win the vote in that election. The plurality of the voters thought Clinton should have been the president over anyone else in 2016. He has to overcome a 44% to 55% loss here as Jackson gets a pretty strong majority in this election by 11 points. That's pretty hard to overcome. And, you know, I think depending on his control of Congress, and how we feel like that would have gone, he would have been pretty limited. You know, could he really have planned for the future in this bold way without congressional majorities? So maybe he gets a, a central bank in place before the Panic of 1837, and maybe this compromising lets you kick the can on a lot of issues. But being a centrist, and I would describe both he and Hillary Clinton as very much centrist, contrary to what the right will tell you about her, you know, centrism comes with some baggage. It means you have to make some compromises that will look uncomfortable in the context of history. And I, I think we're a pretty pro, like, viewing things within the context of their history podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we made the case that Thomas Jefferson was a good president many, many times. It's not to say he didn't have problems. But the other con, and this has kind of lingered over the whole Henry Clay, all of his iterations in the bracket, is, you know, he ran three times and he never won. You kind of have to think about why. And we have no idea what Henry Clay in the White House would actually look like because campaigns weren't held the same way they are now, right? So we had a pretty good sense of like Hillary Clinton's team is going to look like this and we know who she is and we know probably what she's going to do and what her administration will be. We don't really know that about Henry Clay because, you know, active campaigning was not so much a thing. Yeah. And for what it's worth, too, the way he becomes Secretary of State, which is a thing these two people have in common, they're both Secretaries of State, is through the corrupt bargain. Like, <laughs> is what he did perhaps unethical, where he essentially dropped out of the presidential race to allow John Quincy Adams to win, and which would then give him the job that at the time was viewed as the step he sent towards the presidency? You know, your mileage may vary if that's a canny political mover and unethical kind of breach of good faith in presidential election i don't know but so who's to say what kind of things uh might happen you know the, the, the jackson presidency right like there was lots of churn about the spoils system and just the way like federal appointments were handed out and if you have somebody who has the stench of the corrupt bargain on them who knows what effect that has 
Uh, am I hearing crooked clay now? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, but it's telegrams, but I think this was even before <laughs> yeah. telegrams existed. It's interesting. They they are actually both so politically similar in so many ways, just in terms of their approach to interacting with with members of the opposition and you know trying to build up this governing majority and and kind of falling flat several times. Uh, Henry Clay, I'll probably give a win to him over over Clinton in terms of oratory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Clint the the reporting on Clinton is like yeah she's like very nice in person and and a very kind of comfortable presence in a, in a room. But, you know, she was viewed as kind of distant, and, and I think a lot of that is just sexism, frankly, as, as this, like, distant and kind of robotic, and, you know, whereas Henry Clay, based on what I've read, you know, I, I can't find recordings of the guys, mm-hmm. uh, was very, very compelling. It was, it was like a force to be reckoned with. So those are some pretty, hesitate to say, strong cons, because we clearly think they were, you know, not that strong if they both made it this far. Who, who do you want to build back up, build back better first, Mike? <laughs> Let, let's start with Clinton again. You know, obviously, I think the biggest argument in her favor is that she prevents Donald Trump from being president. She almost certainly would handle the COVID-19 pandemic better, because I think pretty much anybody would have. Although they don't really want to test that theory with the pretty much anybody bit. She probably appoints progressive justices, or she at least has the opportunity to try and do so, which is more than you could say for Donald Trump being president, because he, he didn't. He just kind of took the Federal Society's list and, and made hay with it. She probably does some fancy political maneuvering with the TPP that perhaps salvages it in a acceptable way for most parties and which kind of, you know, helps improve America's influence in Asia, which it turns out is a very important thing to do. Talk about a lost opportunity that was. Yeah, just generally more progressive immigration policies, of course. There are certain rollbacks to LGBT rights that happen at the administrative level that probably will not happen in a Hillary Clinton presidency. And yeah, you would not have sort of emergence of the, if you want to be charitable, the like the America First caucus, which I think it's, it's one thing to have kind of like paleo-conservative views. It's another to sort of like found those views on conspiracy theories and xenophobia, which is kind of what we have now. And hopefully her being president tempers that a bit. Yeah, I, I think the other pros to Clinton we, we've, we've unpacked is you get, I'm not sure I would make this bold of a claim, but it feels like being secretary of state in the 21st century is more important than being secretary of state in the 1800s. Uh, I. It's definitely more complicated. You know, you know what I mean. There's a bit more at stake because there are nuclear weapons, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. But I mean, if if you're establishing the foreign policy positions of a young country in sure. a rapidly changing world, you know, I, I don't think you can discount that. No, no. But I, I would definitely argue that foreign policy is very important in the 2010s in a way it is not particularly important in the 18. 18- 30s sure america is not the leader of the inner of the liberal world right. order in the 1830s because that doesn't exist right <laughs> and you have a lot of foreign policy i would say blunders that that occur in 2017 through 2021 in regards to russia and ukraine and china that i do not think hillary clinton would have made i actually think she would have mm-hmm. dramatically made improvements there via the tpp I, I just think how she would have handled you know the incoming ukrainian administration and how to respond to russia is that was like a thing she was like an expert in you know donald trump uh, had no idea what he was doing the case for hillary clinton is also you know like we said she won more votes 
there's there's this there's oomph to her presidency it means something she has this like inspiring great story and she has at least under the surface very good relations across the capital which henry clay of course does too the the two to three supreme court seats is something i just keep reiterating with clinton because that will impact the country for decades that we did not have hillary clinton as president it certainly will so yeah, I guess we can now move on to the pro case for Henry Clay, which is that, you know, he would have a chance to execute his big, bold American system agenda, which included big federal infrastructure projects. It included tariffs, which again, you know, your mileage may vary on whether or not that's a good thing. It would include a central bank, which did not really exist at that point, which also means it brings some economic stability to everything. Again, you know, there is the slavery issue, which, you know, he be better on than a lot of people of his era obviously not perfect again we can't really say what he would do as far as indian policy goes but he was an opponent of the indian removal act that was kind of you know andrew jackson's big very bad you know basically caused the trail of tears again one of those things where did he oppose it because he thought it was bad or did he oppose it because andrew jackson did he just hated andrew jackson I don't know enough about Henry Clay to say whether you know where he stood on that but ideally he would have a sort of like softer approach to that issue yeah, you also have to wonder with his, his big vision being like infrastructure across the country. Usually when America builds infrastructure across itself, it ends up displacing a lot of people exactly, in the right. way. Yeah. And and, and he, he was an expansionist, right? He was against the Mexican-American War, but he was an expansionist. So again, that's gonna there's going to be some negative effects from that. Yeah, I, I think the other pro to Clay is that... This kind of consensus building working with Congress is huge. I mean, it's like a big deal. Is, is Clay kind of revolutionized how we dole out congressional leadership spots and who, who holds these committees. And that's why he was so effective as speaker and, and became such a political force. Is, and you'd think if he became president, like that would pay off dividends, uh, even if he has these problems losing the House under his presidency. A benefit I think they both have, they are both taking place in this road of progress, is that there have Mm -hmm. been steps made and things are improving and the country is getting better and we're slowly but surely, gradually, and you know, Henry Clay is like a slavery gradualist. He's trying to make it better over time. And I I think that makes him a very apt comparison with Clinton, obviously not on the slavery issue, but Clinton is very realistic. It's like, we're not going to, we're not going to improve everything in one go, which is, you know, after, after the Obama campaign... People kind of had that expectation, and then mm-hmm. he could only like half get healthcare through. And Clinton was like, "Okay, well, we're going to add another block on top of it," and yeah, and so on. And I think Henry Clay is like in that same vein, right? We will sustain the progress we have made, and we will add another block there. And obviously, the people who defeated both Clinton and Clay uh, rolled back that progress. Yeah, well, it's interesting too, right? It's just two different theories of governance, basically. Where I feel like with Jackson and Trump, it's not just populist; it's also emotional. It is by the gut, kind of like revving people up and doing what is almost kind of like more satisfying from like a petty personal level than doing what's kind of pragmatic and and makes the most sense and what, what you'll be able to build on in the future, yeah. which is to me what Clay and Clinton represent. Yeah. So, so there's our positive and negative case for each of them. I, I guess I'll ask again, Mike. Are you are you leaning one way or another before we? Yeah, I am leaning towards Henry Clay, and it's funny because Clay is going to be used in the metaphor for which I <laughs> uh, I, just, I explain why. If if you were sculpting something out of clay, <laughs> and and like multiple people are sculpting with this clay, okay. like who's going to be more important, like the tenth person to touch it 
or the 45th person to touch it. Right. And is Henry Clay being president solve the world's ills? Does it does it prevent the civil war? Does it get slavery abolished faster? Probably not. But I think it helps inculcate an American culture. And I, Americans are bold. They like progress. But I think it makes America bolder and more progressive in some ways, right? I think that it helps create this idea of like a robust powerful federal government that is able to take a direct hand in programs that will help raise the standard of living of the average american there are things that do that now right and that's like a very fdr idea that's kind of what the new deal was was taking like an active step in things that were left to kind of private entities before but i think there's been a long-standing suspicion in american culture of those kinds of programs and i think part of that again is just the idea there's kind of this inherited sense of like being against a very strong central power there's, there's just been like general sort of like anti-government sentiment i think is very common in the post reagan era mm. and again do i think clay being president prevents reagan from being president probably not but I do think it helps temper the sense of populism, which I think can sometimes be productive, can oftentimes be corrosive. And I think it just generally, like I said, resets the American culture to be in favor of this sort of like grand, I feel like I'm arguing for like Soviet style national planning for this, these kind of like grand bold visions that I feel like, again, we didn't really get again until FDR. That was very well said. I think I agree. I said this a few episodes, and it goes to your clay metaphor, but that was way more on the nose, so good job there. <laughs> Whereas, like, it's, it's just, I think this is when we were comparing someone early on in America versus someone in, like, the late 1800s. It was just more important to have good presidents earlier on than it was mm -hmm. later on. My caveat to that, and, you know, I, I think we're both, obviously, we have a degree of modernity bias, just because we live in the era that has been impacted by the you know past 10 presidents or so, is it, it is very, very important to have good presidents, you know, kind of World War II and on. <laughs> There's just a lot at stake, like, globally. I don't ne necessarily even mean that from our perspective. I mean that from, like, a human being perspective. It matters a great deal who was elected president in 2016 or in 2000 if you are living not in America. You know what I mean? Mm. Yes, I, I think there's that chunk of, of, like, probably after the Civil War to, like, World War II, where it, a lot of those presidents just kind of, like, fell through for that reason. And, and I think I agree with you. I think I am also leaning towards Clay, because I think political culture is just so important, and I wish we would have building blocks and this, this instinct to compromise. I, God, I, I mean, I wish we still had that. Or I, I wish that was more ingrained because I, I really, I, I really struggle to think of a congressional leader who managed it at the scale in their time, like Henry Clay did, on such important issues. You know, I guess LBJ could be mm -hmm. an example of that. Yeah. Although, it, I, again, I, I don't know. I know more about LBJ than Henry Clay, but it doesn't seem like LBJ moved more at like a brute force type thing. Yeah. It was less about kind of like, I mean, he did negotiate a lot, obviously, but uh, he referred to it famously as nut cutting, which I think <laughs> kind of like gives you an idea of how he approached the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think it's a good point. Like, and it's another thing where it's like, I, I remember a thing that was oft repeated after the 2016 election was that you know we elected Donald Trump, who had had no prior government experience, as opposed to Hillary Clinton, who people were saying was like the most qualified candidate in American history. Right? She was a very well-respected attorney. She worked 
on like the case for Nixon's impeachment. She was first lady of Arkansas. She was first lady of the United States. And again, she wasn't just in kind of like the typical hostess role. She was actually helping form policy and messaging and things like that. Then of course she was a senator from New York. She was secretary of state. We should also say that Henry Clay was not only a congressman, he was speaker of the house. Yes. <laughs> he was a senator from Kentucky and he was also secretary of state. So both very qualified people. Right. I don't think anyone can debate that. And the other thing I'll, I'll just kind of head off is that, you know, and we talked about this a lot with Clinton versus Gore, where it's like, it's very easy to get into the idea of it's like, okay, look, who do you want to prevent from being president? To be totally honest, I would rather prevent Donald Trump from being president than Andrew Jackson from being president. Mm. And you can maybe argue that you don't get Trump without Jackson. The thing is, I was not alive when Andrew Jackson was alive. And I would much rather spare myself the pain of Donald Trump being around. And I think Trump being Trump and that combining with sort of like the social media internet age, I think led to a very special, uniquely destructive formula that I don't know in my lifetime will ever fully be able to exercise out of the American body politic. But I again, I still just think Clay would be in a position to influence the future of the country a bit more and just sort of set more important standards. Yeah, you know, learning about Clay in, in high school or in college, more so in high school, you know, you're sort of taught which I think is, is very much like a whitewashed version of American history, where Henry Clay was like this great, the great compromiser, right? Mm-hmm. And this great orator who would like stand up in the chambers of Congress and like convince people. And like that is, if you know very little about Congress and you come to America and it's like, oh, wow, and these senators, they have this great impassioned debate. That's what it was like, you know, under Clay. And it's not like that anymore. Like, like it or not, and I think Hillary Clinton is more right than she is not on most of these things she's running on, I don't care how good of an argument she will ever make, she will not convince anyone. Everyone has already made up their mind about her and about her ideas just because of who she is. And, and I don't think Henry Clay is really out there like convincing very pro-slavery people to like tone it down, but I, I think he is out there convincing some people of what could be done better and how we can work together to to reach a compromise you don't you don't get nicknamed the great compromiser if you're you know not compromising on things yeah the 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 political culture thing is 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 a big deal and i andrew jackson is a problem i I think i agree that i don't know (laughs) andrew jackson's pretty bad you lose a lot of lives under Andrew Jackson, like unnecessarily because of his actions that I, I kind of think Trump is actually not really the case. I actually think you could make an argument that Hillary Clinton would have cost more lives than Trump because she probably mm-hmm. would have stayed in Afghanistan. I actually think that's something Trump mostly got right was like withdrawing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I, know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I, yes I, I think it pains me to say this, <laughs> but I do think Trump kind of like recalibrated Middle East policy in a generally productive way. Yeah. You know, drone strikes in Iran notwithstanding, but... And I I think if we go with Clay, we can rest easy, acknowledging that they are both very deserving of the White House. But but I think my vote's for Clay. Yes, mine is too. Are we prepared to crown a champion? I, I think we are. We are ready to declare Henry Clay the greatest president we never had. But only in 1832. <laughs> yes, only, only that iteration of him. If he, if he gets elected before or after, no, doesn't count. <laughs> only the 1832 vintage does. So congratulations, Henry Clay. We know this is nearly 200 years of the making. <laughs> Call us. <laughs> yeah. Let us know what you think about your win. Our apologies to Hillary Clinton. But Henry Clay, 
Congratulations. Second in the vote tally, but first in our hearts. Aw. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's with the extra time we have, because that obviously was only one matchup and didn't take up as much time as, as others did, let's, let's talk about kind of our feelings on this whole project, this whole experience together, this journey we all took in the form of a bracket. Why, why do we think Henry Clay won? Why, why do we think he made it this far, as opposed to everybody else? So I think, you know, I, I'm looking, if you look broader out, a lot of these people advanced because of who they lost to, for sure. You know, mm-hmm. that Clinton lost to Trump, that Clay lost to Jackson, that Gore lost to Bush, that definitely mattered. I, I think the reason that Clay did so well is your average American probably doesn't know who Henry Clay is, but your average American who does know the name probably knows vaguely that he had this idea and can articulate that idea. And I I don't know that 100 years from now, people, I think people will be able to tell you why Hillary Clinton was important in a way that Geraldine Ferraro was important. But like, I can't articulate an idea that Geraldine Ferraro had. Yeah. I think Hillary Clinton is probably more important and had more ideas than Geraldine Ferraro, but you, you get my yes. point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think to be president, you have to be an inspiring figure, and I think that's why we left Al Gore. I think to be president, you have to have good ideas, and that's why we love Andrew Jackson. But Clay just kind of combined all of this. He, he was inspiring. He had good ideas. He, he was a statesman. He was willing to compromise when push came to shove, and in fact, sought it out. Yeah, I, I think it, it was kind of the perfect combination of like vision and opportunity, right? Well, vision, we, we've talked about a lot, the American system, all that great stuff. You know, we eliminated people like Thomas Dewey, who I think we were like intrigued by, we thought were interesting, but ultimately like, or did not have a lot of like substantive ideas. Didn't, we didn't really think we'd make a, made a huge, huge difference if they were in office. Kind of similar with like William Jennings Bryan almost, where he had kind of a lot of ideas, but they would get kind of co-opted by other people. And he ran so much that their like potency was diluted a little bit and they were clearly just so unpopular that it just didn't make a whole lot of sense but clay i think kind of won up by having the best ideas and then like we said opportunity right america in 1832 or really i would say anytime henry clay was running for president it is it is a post-war of 1812 america we have as my ap u.s history high school teacher used to say we've now not lost to the british twice right (laughs) And we're, we're really feeling ourselves. We feel like, you know, we're at a moment of progress. We can do some great things. And that's the opportunity Henry Clay had. Like, the reason why I feel like we didn't, like, talk more about, say, like, Walter Mondale or Michael Dukakis is just that, like, what were they going to do that was, like, so great? 84, 88 were not necessarily, like, hinge points in American history. Even Gerald Ford, right, who I feel like, again, didn't run a very substantive campaign. 1976, very important time in American history, right? Yeah. I feel like that's part of why he got as far as he did. Right. But Clay, it was just kind of like the, the perfect combo, and, and that's why he ended up prevailing. Yeah. So we, we talked about some some contestants of rounds past. Anybody you think we, we did not give their due who we knocked off a little too early and you would have liked to have seen gone a little further? Yeah, so some people who I wish we talked more about, just, you know, they went up against very strong contestants early. The prime two examples for me, and I think you'll at least agree with one of them, were Mitt Romney, who went out to Jefferson in round two, and Hubert Humphrey, who went out to Al Gore in round two. I think we could have taken the Romney presidency. I, I just think there's a lot to talk about there. Do I think he's the greatest president we never had? No. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it's Henry Clay, but I kind of wish he would have made it to at least like our last 16 or 8 candidates maybe. And you you were a big Hubert Humphrey guy. Yeah, I, I think Hubert Humphrey 
legitimately is one of the greatest presidents we never he is i think in many ways the encapsulation of new deal liberalism Hmm. and and i think the transition from like him to mcgovern is something that really damages the democratic party for the next you know like 20 years or so and yeah i I think i think he's he's definitely like someone who you know in, in the face of strong competition went out a little bit early maybe like nixon went out a little bit early just from like the experience argument and even though obviously he he has his own problems you know he was a smart guy he was a savvy politician the 1960 version of him didn't have quite the same problems no exactly right and maybe if he wins earlier he's a little less bitter than he was in the 70s and then i also think actually theodore roosevelt didn't get very far (laughs) he lost to the 48 version of dewey guy with some big bold ideas and uh, obviously he was president, so I think that dilutes it a little bit. But Yeah, it, it's weird because I feel like we've almost kind of turned the bend on Dewey as we were both like, <laughs> we were pretty like, you know, bullish on Dewey going into it. And then we slowly just sort of realized we didn't like lose anything by not having Thomas Dewey in office as FDR mm-hmm. and Truman presumably would have done more. It's more about what he represented. Yeah, I, I just I really wanted Mitt Romney to go a little further so that he'd like find us and like reach out to us and we could ask him <laughs> what he'd do as president. I feel yeah, like he'd be into it. <laughs> That'd be a big get. Hey man, does, does he still run the Pierre Delecto account? Is... It's, I believe it's locked. Oh, okay. I'll reach out to him. I'll say, hey, can we get you for a comment or a podcast episode? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, is there anyone you, you think we, we were a little too kind to, who, who, who we brought a little too far? I actually think you could almost say that about both H.W. Bush and Benjamin Harrison. Mm-hmm. When we, like, knocked them off, we had some pretty serious qualms with each of mm-hmm. them. Or at least I did. Quincy Adams went pretty far, given how ineffective <laughs> yes. we felt he was. We just yeah. liked his ideas. Mm-hmm. I think Ford went kind of far, <laughs> but I yeah, think that's no, fine. I, I agree on all of those. I, I'm waiting to get like an angry email from a history professor <laughs> about like the big flaws in Benjamin Harrison and John Quincy Adams we ignored and why we should have like had William Jennings Bryan go further than he did. Those are those are the two that, that stand out to me. I think we were too kind to William Jennings Bryan early mm-hmm. on in the bracket, actually. Interesting. So, okay, we see to this, interesting, right? I was listening to another podcast where they um, they have like a free podcast and then they have like a like a premium podcast where people get to vote on what they what they, they talk about and one of the voting options was a bracket and they didn't end up winning the the vote and the guy was like the thing with brackets when it's just like two people is that like at some point it's just a ranking because you make the seating we didn't do that right we had a very scientific approach to the seating right that involved you know the the, the vote percentage they received but if we were seating them ourselves how would you reseat it Let's just say who would be your four onesies if we were receiving this ourselves. So I'm actually, I'm very glad we did this the way we did, actually. I think yeah. it made it way more interesting. I think Al Gore is probably the easiest number one seed. I think he is undeniably someone who should, in theory, go the furthest. But that's mm-hmm. not very like that's not very interesting. You know, because if we're just picking our favorites, they're all just gonna make it. Yeah. I think you know, I think going into this, we probably would have been a little kinder to someone like Thomas Dewey. We probably would have made like a number two or a number three seed. And I actually think we would have, Henry Clay is not very highly seeded. I, I think he would have to be a number one seed, honestly. He's, he's like, like the Senate passed a resolution calling him like one of the most important senators of all time. I feel like we would have given William Jennings Bryan a higher seed than he deserved. Yeah, I, I, I think Bryan's like a one or a two, honestly. 
you could talk me into either of those. Tilden, obviously, I think is ranked lower. <laughs> yeah, but I'd feel pretty bad moving him below like a three. Yeah, I, I think we've, we've... Would you make Hillary Clinton a one seed? I think a one or two is fair. I feel like when I was growing up, it seemed like such an inevitability that she would eventually become president. You would kind of have to put her at a one seed. <laughs> Way to doom us all, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? So yeah, any thoughts on, on what, what your favorite your favorite matchup was? I think the Clinton v. Gore debate was really good. I actually think the H.W. Bush v. Clinton debate, when we started, we, we took the knives out a little more on both of them. I really liked that one, too. I think Ford's journey was interesting. Like, I enjoyed yeah. every conversation around Ford. He was, like, my favorite run, I think. Yeah. Nixon versus Harrison, just, like, very interesting that Harrison won that. <laughs> I, I wish Nixon would have gone further because there's a lot to unpack in that like alternate history where Nixon wins in 1960 more than there is with Harrison winning. You know what I mean? Yeah, there definitely is. As far as like matchups that we didn't get that we would have wanted to see, like Nixon versus Van Buren, or Nixon versus John Quincy Adams, I think would be very interesting. I think some of the most interesting ones were the ones that were closer in time. Mm-hmm. which happened more, I think, yeah. on the left side of the... Bre- like, the, the Gore v. Kerry discussion was really good. I'm glad we did that. Mm-hmm. And the Clinton v. Bush discussion. Like, I almost wish we had some more of those where it was, like, McCain versus Romney. Who do we think would have mm-hmm. made the better president? Or had Clay and Quincy Adams earlier on. It's like, who would have been the best against Andrew Jackson? You know what I mean? I would generally agree, yeah. We, we were like, let's compare some, some apples to oranges, but it's also fun to compare apples to apples every once in a while. You can get a, you can get a little more nuanced on the taste and texture, metaphorically speaking. Oh, well um, said, Mike. Any, uh, any other big takeaways, big lessons learned from this whole exercise? Yeah, Henry Clay's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he should yeah, have been re- president. <laughs> read about Henry Clay. R- read about Benjamin Harrison. Yeah. I would be fascinated, maybe not to read a whole book, but read a, a lengthy research paper on benjamin harrison yeah i would too it's funny because i remember i don't know how they did it in your high school but my high school they split up ap us history into ap us one and ap us two and ap us one was basically like columbus to reconstruction and then ap us two was post reconstruction to the present and we just kind of like our, our teacher was like yeah he's like we're not gonna like talk a lot about people who were president basically like before William McKinley because they were all super boring, <laughs> which includes Benjamin Harrison. Yeah. So yeah, it turns out kind of like more interesting than uh, than we seem to to think. All right, well that uh, that concludes our first season of Floor Fight. Like we said, Henry Clay is now officially the greatest president we never had. If anybody tries to tell you otherwise, tell them they are officially incorrect. <laughs> but we're gonna come back for some future seasons where we'll have some other brackets to debate. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found, or just go to thepostwriter.com and and follow it there. If you like what we said, you're interested, you can check out our final bracket and see how all went down at thepostwriter.com slash floorfight. Tweet at us at thepostwriter or email us at contact at thepostwriter.com to let us know what picks you would have made, what we got wrong, and why you think Henry Clay actually sucks and why he should not have won. Or why you think William James Bryan was the greatest man to ever live and why he should have won. So let us know what we should do for our next season as well, because we actually don't know what we're going to do, but we will do something. Um, we've really appreciated all the feedback. I think of any podcast we've ever done, we've gotten the most feedback from this one, and that's a lot of fun. It's yeah. always more fun to hear people talk about what you're doing. It seems like people have gotten into it. So we really enjoy all your emails and tweets and and things like that. We haven't upset anybody too, too much, it seems like. So thank you for that. 
Yeah, in the meantime, you can check out our other politics podcasts like Running Mates and Watching Mates, which are, I'd say, more akin to this one in that there's a little bit more of like a competition angle to those. Yeah. Um, you can also check out our flagship politics podcast, Politics Express, and our flagship pop culture podcast, Pony Express, where we don't talk about politics as much. It's more of a pop culture entertainment type deal. If you want to read some things we've written about politics and pop culture, you can just go right to thepostwriter.com to find a litany of articles on those subjects. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to see what we're up to, and that's where we're going to preview all of our new shows, both new seasons of this and other podcasts we have that we're planning. So we will see you next time on Floor Fight. Thanks for listening, everybody.